I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. We are back. <laughs> Happy feel good Friday, folks. And um, uh, I don't know if uh, this is going to be weird for anyone who didn't listen to last week's episode. Uh, so I would say if you didn't listen to last week's episode, take a pause. Pause here. Go back. Download it for sure because we need those DLs. Mm-hmm. Uh, DLs and, then, day, baby. and then listen. Um, and you will hear, uh, I mean, pretty, uh, pretty self, um, what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? A self-absorbed conversation about my shit. <laughs> uh, I feel like that was also a bit of a pun about your digestive system and your, your intestines. Hey, there you go. Nice. Yeah. I did uh, totally yeah. not intended. Um, but anyway, we were talking about my, my, the, the, I've been noticing some things about my, my stool, my bowel movements lately, and I'm trying to get to the bottom of like what's going on in my body since I, I, I'm missing a bunch of colon and I don't have a gallbladder. Getting to the bottom of your bottom? Getting right wow. to the bottom of my bottom. Well, listen to this. We put that out last week and we got a letter from a doctor. Getting a <laughs> diagnosis right here, folks. You're going to get it. It's like telemedicine in real life. This is yeah. telemedicine. This like is pod med. <laughs> this is the best thing to come out of 2020 is the, uh, the telemedicine uh, solution that we've found here on sick boy podcast. This is a letter from Ben, uh, the subject of the email regarding fluids and squirts. <laughs> I hope it's Dr. Ben. Is it, uh, is it a Dr. Ben? Is it is. It is a Dr. Ben. Yes. Okay. So let's, uh, let's see here. I am a family physician in Ontario which I think is a cheeky way of saying Ontario. I heard that for the first time today. I'd never heard it before. Really? Um, uh, Dr. Ben goes on to say, believe it or not, poo, volume, character, frequency, color, description, see Bristol stool chart, are important questions for determining baseline function and come up all too often in a typical visit. To answer Jeremy's question regarding hydration and loose loose stools, The colon is primarily responsible for reabsorbing water from the stool that enters from the small intestines. Wikipedia indicates about 1.5 liters per day. The citation they use would seem to be a biology textbook from 2010, so I'll go with it. I just want want to say that Bro Science Brian could have told you that because what I would have thought is that if you're told to drink like 1.5 liters a day, like eight cups of water... And like it would be fairly regular to have one 
bowel movement a day. What are you saying, Tay? Is two, it? Two, two, eight cups is two liters. Is it? Okay. <laughs> so, well, but I would have guessed around one and a half liters or... This you know, is getting around super bro sciencey. <laughs> Very on brand, Brian. Well done. <laughs> because where else? Like, I mean, you're peeing out a bit of it, right? So probably a bit of it. You know, Dude, you're peeing out quite a bit of it. I, I'd say you're peeing out yeah. half a liter. Yeah, maybe. If you're drinking eight cups a day, you pee out half a liter. Yeah. The other liter and a half are in your doo doo. This is and it. They get sucked up, folks. In bro science. This dude. is the hard hitting stuff that you tune into every week, twice a week. Uh, and thank you for that. Sorry for that commercial break, guys. Please, back to the main. Please don't ever stop. The main program. Um, back to the email here. Our bodies rely on this water to ensure balance throughout the day. If you are well hydrated, you need less water reabsorbed, and your stools are generally softer. In Jeremy's case, a portion of his reabsorbing colon has been removed. Therefore. His body's ability to reabsorb water is compromised, leading to softer stools. Staying well hydrated will allow more water to pass through a shorter colon, leading to much softer liquid stools. Hmm. Did, did he capitalize much there? Because you said it with the emphasis. Yeah, as if you it did. was like fully. Or is it bolded? All capitalized. Or is it italicized? Underlined, possibly. I read it as if it was bolded, italicized, and underlined and highlighted red. Right. Ooh. But it was just normal okay. text. Just a normal <laughs> Times New Roman. Okay. Anecdotally, of the five or so COVID diseases, and that's in quotes, I've been seeing of late, i.e. tension headache from using laptops with poor postures, STIs, because not even par- uh, pandemics stop those, hair loss, <laughs> see telogen, effu- effluvium, secondary distress, constipation, hemorrhoids, anal fissures, are super prevalent right now because people are more sedentary. They're not drinking as much fluids. And in some cases, formal meals have turned into snacks, limiting proper fiber intake. Hmm. They end up having these deep, these deer pellet poos that require so much pushing, they cause small paper tears, paper cut tears in their anuses, fissures, and varicose veins. Hemorrhoid, ha, hemorrhoids that only get better when we fix the poo problem. I just want to, I want to oh, ask no. you guys because you reacted as if, so like they're talking about during this pandemic, that's fairly common for people to have those deer pellet like poos because of these, all these things mm-hmm. going hemorrhoids on. and fissures. And, yeah. and like in my head, when you were reading that, I was like, yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I identify with that, but then your reaction specifically yours, Taylor was like, Ugh. oh, I don't. Ugh. I'm the most. I like when you. Well, that was a. That was an answer for me as well because when you said that it's softer, like the more hydrated you are, the softer your stool is. Yes, which is what I was. Exp- which is what I. I last week when we were deliberating about what the fuck's going on with my body. That's what yeah. I was wondering. I was yeah. like, am I hydrating to the point of making myself shit? Yeah, softer, and you're and you're getting <clears throat> which water water like poos because you don't have the colon piece. Whereas I just right, have right. softer than typical because right, I right 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 I drink. I mean, I'm the fucking water champ over here. I drink <laughs> like five or six okay. liters of water a day, yeah. guys. I just want to say that it to me this email comes as no surprise because really, like more water in to me just means more. M- more when, water out. More water out, right? Yeah. Like unless you work, you, unless you're, you're exercising. If you get, yeah. if you get into your car in the winter in Canada and you got snow on your fucking boots and you don't have those plastic rubber mats down, you just have those like regular like. The fuck are you doing with your life, man? Like, like if you have those regular mats and you get in with a bunch of snow on your boots and then 
you get out of your car and you let your car sit there, perhaps in like an underground parking garage for a while, and then you go back and you get into that car later, guess what your 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 floor mats are going to be like? Little mini ice rinks. They're going to be wet. People who don't put... Or, well, because, if you, well, if you park outside, because, they'll be dude, little mini ice people rinks. People who don't put his... rubber mats down in the winter should be in prison. Here's the thing. <laughs> Water freezes in cold weather. I know this. That's why I said underground parking. I had yeah. to specify to make my analogy make sense in oh, this see, situation. But uh, my point is that... That a bunch of snow, <laughs> it doesn't get absorbed very well. Yeah. Like I'm your colon. so lost. Yeah, yeah. My, my point is that it doesn't absorb very well. <laughs> Brett's going to have to work and, on this one for his next uh, bro size. And it's, and it's just wet forever. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? Colons, winter, floor mats, they're all the same. Uh, ben Ben goes on to There's finish. There's somebody listening who was like, yeah, I could, that analogy works it for might me. Might be one. <laughs> uh, ben goes on to finish the email with, I recommend watching the Magic School Bus episode when they go inside Arnold's body when he turns orange and Favorite learn episode. about the digestive system. They mm-hmm. really nailed it. Keep on keeping on, Ben. Well, first of all, I want to say, Dr. Ben, thank you very much for sending that in. Now I have an answer to the question that I had, mm-hmm. which was, why are my poops so watery? And it also means that you guys are listening. <laughs> and that you, you heard the question and you answered. So, so here's my, my next question. Why the fuck hasn't a doctor written in to tell us why people are having orgasms from wiggling their ears? <laughs> Stig- I think, stigma. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think doctors hear that and they go, yeah, we're not going. There. I'm not, gonna yeah. I'm not that. even going to engage. But hey, speaking of, uh, speaking of um, poop, I know that sometimes we talk about poop too much on this podcast. I know that Brian really, really wants to like steer clear of the subject matter as much as possible because he thinks it uh, degrades the podcast quality. However, I came across a pretty interesting little article <laughs> that has to do directly with feces, and uh, but I, but in a way that is is quite different than we've talked about poop in in the past, and I think it's pretty fucking interesting okay well before you go into that i just want to do my typical caveat every time we have a uh, uh or asterisks on this show every time we have like a medical professional on that you know i think it's really important that people stick around and stay tuned for that episode i just want to say guys later on we're having Nahid on yeah it's Nahid a really Desa- important conversation he Desani are, are, are one of our og bffs Who's been on the podcast? I mean, OG. We we it, it feels like OG. We met him a, a fucking like a year ago. But. I don't know if Nahid feels the same, but I feel like he and I are having a bromance. Twenty twenty oh. was the longest <clears throat> year. Was yeah. the longest year on record. So it does feel like it, it was, does feel like a long so, time. So anyway, just caveat, guys. If you're turned off by the the fecal talk, um, just stick around. I don't, don't think you'll be turned off by this. This is quite fascinating. Do you know what FMT stands for? Fecal massage therapy. You're, you're so close. I mean, you're, you're like, Actually, yeah, you're, you're like, I mean, you're not my, that close, but like you're, you, you do. It, <laughs> fuck my tummy. <laughs> fuck my tummy. That, that, <laughs> fuck my tummy also is like, I guess like kind of. I like you. I like how you went with tummy instead of like another T word yeah. that totally would have made sense. Well, I was trying to find one, but I, the, the, the what were you thinking? Tits? Yeah. Fuck my titties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm mad. I didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. Me too. FMT fecal microbiota transplant. How is that? Sim- well, like fecal is the same you are word. one for three i just love the idea what's a fecal <laughs> massage what therapy? did you say fecal therapy? Massage therapy so what does that mean you're what? gonna massage a literal piece of poo well, or you're you, massaging someone as you, they poo yeah, there's have you a ever lot like to a, unpack you ever taken a, <laughs> yeah. you ever taken a mud bath no <laughs> oh wow oh, no Jesus oh dude i can't believe you said that that's but, like a like a like a 
like a kink mud bath. Uh, yeah, I have to say that fecal feces or fecal was in my yeah, mind because yeah. I literally just said fecal before that, and FMT sounded like RMT, which is a regist- registered yeah. massage therapist. So I just kind of so put them. Well, here, here's why you're kind of close. FMT, fecal microbiota transplants, are a medical therapy. Right. So the okay. you know, therapy is in there. It's a medical therapy in which stool. So uh, stool is also known as poop. Mm. Uh, it's stools with the stools with a, a fucking stuffy, stuffy, stuff, stuff, <laughs> a stuffy wasp would call it called stool. Uh, uh, a medical therapy in which stool is taken from a healthy donor and inserted into the colon of a sick patient. The treatment is used uh, for illnesses associated with the dice biosis of the gut microbiome. So uh, I don't like that. We've talked about, uh, we've talked about fecal transplant. <laughs> it was before. a long time ago, yeah. but yeah, it's basically taking shit from one person and going, we're going to insert this person's shit into this other person's colon. And it's going to do a lot of good things, which is sounds so <laughs> counterintuitive. counterintuitive. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so against all laws and wow. rules of, engagement we were talking to uh, um, we, were, we did a we did a talk for a college today and they one of the questions they asked us in the q a period after was what's what is the, the weird weirdest, one of the weirdest things you've ever heard on the podcast yeah. i think this, this is, is it for you this all right we'll, we'll we'll get this uh here's six diseases that fmt is currently treating ulcerative colitis ulcerative colitis sufferers have an altered microbiome composition compared to those in a healthy state dice dis Dysbiosis. Dysbiosis of the gut microbiome is thought to be manageable by use of fecal transplants to provide it with the good bacteria it needs to repopulate and balance. So your shit is, is filled with microbiome, like trillions and trillions of, of these little dudes. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> and so there's, good. there's good bacteria in there. There's bad bacteria in there. And so, and bad dudes. That's so why the, you got to drink the kombucha. <clears throat> that's right. Yeah, it's a, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. So, uh, so according to studies, up to 41% of patients with ulcerative colitis are able to reach a symptom-free state through the use of fecal therapy. How often? I don't, I don't know that. I'm not a fucking doctor. Why would you ask me that? I have no idea. Uh, um, it just uh, seems like a lot. Yeah, okay. Know, how, how, how did this person, how, how, how was this thought of? Yeah. Did someone just see, because I grew Dude. up with two dogs and like one of my dogs used to eat the other one's shit. Yes. Is that, is that yeah, what? I think it's the right? same thing. I think someone just saw their dog eating another dog's shit and was like, hmm. Well, I, I wonder. I've got a crazy story for you. <laughs> So, so, you know, you know how, you know how, um, the, the anal glands of a beaver are are, for a long, long time were used for, were were Mm. used for smell, uh, it smells like vanilla. Mm. Right. And so how did we figure that out? Well, there was, you know, there was obviously my guess is some sort of some sort of hunter or some sort of like, uh, what are they called? Like pelt trapper, trapper. Thank you. Furry Uh, or or furry Uh, found a beaver killing, skinning a beaver or like, you know, whatever, like taking its pelt and then, you know, severed the the gland and was like, wow, that smells amazing. Right. And so, and so now, and then it it becomes used for flavoring in vanilla. If you don't know this folks, look it up. Vanilla flavoring in ice cream, these kinds of things. I feel like we've said this on the podcast. Yes, we've, we've talked about it before. (laughs) So here's the thing about fecal transplant and how, (laughs) how, how this got found out. It was two physicians who had a romance (laughs) 
and they also were big in a certain community. This is made up. And they would what they what they did was what they did was they they were in a, they were in a dungeon and they pushed their bums against each other and mm-hmm. on their hands and knees and they pushed their bums against each other and they just pooped back and forth. Vacuum seal. Uh yeah yeah and it's a, it's a it's a very it's a very advanced <laughs> trick. That's the so that's that. that's called the reverse human centipede, isn't it? That is exactly what it's called. <laughs> yeah. Yes, years of training. And so anyway, uh, both uh, both of them position. being physicians uh, and researchers and uh, um, mm. and kinksters uh, and one with colitis, right? It, Cured or colitis. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. One of them died and one of them thrived. That's right. Uh, so, and if you don't believe me, look it up. Uh, another disease, I said six diseases, right? So we've got Crohn's disease, which is another one. Obesity. Oh. What? Autism. Now, okay. IBS. Okay, hold no. on. Explain autism. I yeah, really want right. to know why. Fecal, fecal transplants has been, has fecal, now, look, this is coming from... Um, What's the source on this? <laughs> now, now, you ready for now this? I'm sure skeptical. This. You ready for this? Uh... <laughs> oh no what designer shit documentary.com <laughs> what no 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 designer shit documentary.com yes but Dude, listen this listen. is the time ty- no. this is the source information that Wait, you are sharing with our listeners i suddenly 100%. feel embarrassed about all of the content we shared on hold this on let me let me hold on let me read the autism bit Fecal transplants have been found to have a positive impact on both behavioral <laughs> and GI systems associated with autism spectrum disorder in 60% of cases due to the connection between autism and the, and the gut microbiome. What? The method of treatment seems to be wow. effective due to what is known as the gut-brain access. access sorry. However, the results are early and there will need to be much more study to fully access the efficacy wow. uh, for FMT for autism. I mean, I, so I would love to know... If there is more to know about that, mm. and there's somebody who, who who's out there listening that's like, I know somebody who knows about that, let us know, because that's crazy. And that, I, that is being pulled from a... St- so the, legit here for a second. That is being pulled from a study that has been released uh, uh, through the Journal of... Poopology? Uh, the Journal of Designer <laughs> Shit. No, no, I, no, I, no. I, I don't know what the journal is, but, it, but it's coming, it, it is coming from ncbi.gov. Well, I, well the I other did. ones make sense because they're yeah. like IBS, yeah, yeah, Crohn's, yeah. things Dude. that are things that have to do with your colon. Yeah. So yeah. those makes more sense. But I mean, autism autism's the one in that list that you go, You're what? what? Yeah, I had totally. to immediately check to make sure that, uh, that it wasn't totally bogus too. But there is a bunch of sources for this. And as soon as I, I, I put fecal transplant autism into Google yeah. and it said yep. recommended searches. It says, does poop help autism? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and maybe it does, you know, there's still, there's still some studies to be done. It's just, That's the people's it's vernacular. Funny, it's funny because of the way that other people obviously search that <laughs> the way but, that people search, on but, Google it, is always but it comes up with like legit, yeah, uh, yeah. uh, like clinical trials.gov yeah. has articles about it. It's, okay. Yeah. Lots of, okay. So, stuff. Anyway. FMT. All right, we're all we're all aware now of what FMT is, and that it, and that it that it's being used in in a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. C diff is another one that I think it's, it treats a lot of, a lot of people who have C diff. I think I think I think FMT is like the way to treat C diff. Uh, again, What's I'm not C-diff? a doctor. C diff is like a um, uh, C deficit. Is that what it is? I I don't, I don't know exactly what it stands for. I, I Tig Nataro talks about having it, and it was you can get it when you're in hospital. It's kind of like. Oh, man, I'm a fucking idiot. I don't know. It's like sepsis, kind of. It's like a really wild infection in your in your like digestive tract. Okay, it's it's really bad. Um, anyway, spore forming v- bacteria. There we go. So FMT. So here. So 
All of this was just to fill you in on FMT, okay? To fill us to, in? To fill you up with FMT knowledge. <laughs> because this is a new study that has recently come out that I find to be fascinating. And there's probably quite a few of our listeners and past guests who would find this to be really interesting and find this to be potentially quite hopeful. FMT is being used as, as an experimental immunotherapy booster. So... A recent study used FMT to transfer doo-doo with good bacteria from cancer patients who respond to immunotherapy to those patients who don't. Uh-huh. So there's this huge, uh, there's, there was like a swath of people who were receiving immunotherapy for melanoma and they were not responding to the immunotherapy. It was making their cancer worse. And so the people who were responding to it, they were taking their poop inserting it into the people's colons that weren't responding. And they saw a number of these people start to respond even better. Guys, I really have to ask. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it. Like, as you're saying it, they're transferring poop from one to the next person. How do you think they, how do you think they actually do it? Like probably up the butthole. Is it a massive syringe though with like a rubber no, tube hose? Dude, I, just, I literally, were you not just fucking listening like five minutes ago? They take one cancer who has good bi- bi- biome. The patient who doesn't have the good biome, they, they push their bums together and then they, <laughs> I, and then they poop back and forth. I was like, forth. was I not paying attention? <laughs> I mean, I was yeah, like, the, yeah like, I mean, the, the, the method was, the method was pioneered by the doctors yeah, yeah, that yeah. was discovered yeah, yeah, but by I thought, the, in I the thought, dungeon. I thought it would have evolved since then a little no. bit. You well, know? I mean, you don't, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know? <laughs> um, so again, FMT can literally change one's microbiome and this in turn can affect how drugs work in the body. So, so if your microbiome wow, like shifts, it can alter the way that your body recognizes, break di- breaks down, and, and you know, the efficacy of, of drugs that the body's taking in. So in this study, they found that advanced melanoma patients whose cancer initially got worse with immunotherapy actually began to respond and get better. In the study from UPMC Hillman Cancer Center and the National Cancer Institute, Six out of 15 patients experienced tumor reduction or disease stabilization after going through FMT along with um, an immunotherapy that's called anti-PD-1. Obviously, there is, uh, it's pretty hopeful results. And once it's clear, this is really interesting, once it's clear exactly which bacteria within the microbiome are beneficial, because again, there's like trillions of microbiome, uh, they can then create microbial pills which will replace the the having forcing two patients to poop into each other's butts <laughs> like yeah. so like would they do it as a suppository do you think uh no i would say no, no it's, your, it's your like gut biome you probably swallow it i mean it's really just that's, that's one whole from it's like one thing honestly they, dude, they probably fucking make them both like if you have a yeast infection you could take an oral pill or you can take a va- or you can take a vaginal mm-hmm. jerry so, wasn't is he, that a suppository uh yeah you can do yeah. either is that what it's called, though? A suppository? Yeah. Suppository isn't just for the bum bum. No, it can also be for your vagina. Oh, hoo-ha, too. Mm-hmm. Um, hoo-ha. Jared, my favorite thing is when you compare people to human donuts. It's yeah. like one tube all the way through. I mean, I we just are. Think, We're just yeah. giant walking donuts. I love it. Yeah. That's right. So, so <clears throat> either side of the donut doesn't really matter what way you put it. We've had a number of patients on the podcast who've had melanoma. This is uh, something that I thought would be really exciting to kind of Put out there to our listeners and to anyone out there who is currently going through cancer, just know that, you know, trikafta is cool. 
poop inside your butt's cool. There's lots of like cool things happening in medicine. These so days. many cool things, so many neat things. And you can tell that they're neat because the way that they are. I got one last thing that's pretty fascinating. And I'm so sorry, but it also has to do with poop. God, guys, are you serious? This, last is, a, thing. this is a lot of poop. Who's know, curating the content for these episodes? Me. Hmm. <laughs> 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 this is uh, coming from The Guardian. Scientists solve the mystery of why wombats have cube-shaped poo. Oh, yeah. Did you know that wombats take poops and they come out cube-shaped? Well, I hope this provides me some answers as well. (laughs) This is what a wombat looks like, just so we're clear. Oh, my God. They're so cute. If you would have told me that this segment was about wombats and not poop, you could have slipped in the poop, and I would have been totally cool with it. But that is so useful, Do you want to see what the poop looks like? Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Look at that little thing. Oh, oh. It kind of oh, looks great. like a chocolate. They can use their little claws and then put and put like numbers on them and then play a lot of dice. Yeah. It's like a hash brick. It, it does, does look like a big <laughs> hole. You, I bet you smoked that you would get high. <laughs> yeah, I bet you're right. <laughs> unique, unique physiology allows the Australian marsupial to produce square-shaped feces that may aid communication. This is actually wildly fa- fascinating. Unique physiology allows the Australian marsupial to produce square-shaped feces that may aid communication. How wombats produce their cube-shaped poo has long been a biological puzzle, but now an international an international study. I'm going to repeat. <laughs> What's the source of this? An international <laughs> study about the shape of wombat dookie. <laughs> Wombat Weekly. I have to say, honestly, has provided the answers to this unusual natural phenomenon. I, I take back my comments about being bummed about us always talking about poop because the more we talk about it, it's great. The more interesting it actually yeah. does become. Poop is pretty interesting. It really is. I'm sh- you're yeah. I'm shifting a little bit. There's, you know, it's like you you could be at that camp where it's like low hanging fruit. Yanny, I feel like, like sorry, variety, but that's you. And <laughs> and but then you get into this stuff and you're like. Shit's pretty. This shit's pretty interesting. <laughs> sure is. And shout out to I think Sadie on our Patreon community that that linked that to Flag us. Flag the us. Yeah, yeah, thanks. The Sadie. wombat poo. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. The cube shaped is formed within the intestines, not at the point of exit as previously thought. <laughs> which, which is that's interesting. Which is so funny to think that scientists were like. Yeah, it must have one of those like Play-Doh inserts where that's totally yeah, it just pushes Play-Doh. it out like that's totally what I was thinking. <laughs> like a brick. I was picturing like a frozen yogurt machine that was just kind of like cube shaped. Does it hurt to poop it out? I I mean probably, probably not, not for the wombat. If 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 I saw the this would hurt me. Oh yeah, dude. Have Folks, you ever, Google the image. Like if you've ever been on if you've ever been on painkillers, oh yeah, then like that's it's kind of like what your shit looks yeah. like. After I think being those. On it looks like it's packed though. Those it looks. Feel the best. Yeah, though. I'm a hot night. Well, there that. was there was speculation that wombats had a square shaped anal sphincter, <laughs> and that feces get got get squeezed between the pelvic pelvic bones, as well as the complete nonsense idea that wombats pat the feces into shape after they deposit them. <laughs> That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I that mean, would that, be really all cute. you need to, all you need that to do is so <laughs> how cute would that be? That though? would be very cute. But all you need to do is watch. One wombat take, a, take shit. a shit, and then you'd know if it was right or not. Hey, that one was too small a sample size. You would need to watch at least a hundred wombats. It was take thought shits. for many years that sharks flew in the air <laughs> until one shark was observed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the project originated four years ago when a, a carver, when Carver uh, is one of the the scientists involved here, 
was dissecting a euthanized wombat hit by a car and noticed the cubes in the last meter of the wombat's intestine. Carver described it as, as an isn't that odd moment. The thing that is strike quote, the thing that is striking, how do you produce cubes inside essentially a soft tube? The team of researchers in Australia, including the head of veterinarian at Taranga Zoo, Larry Volgnest, tested the tensile strings of the intestine while physicists, physicists at the U.S. base based at the Georgia Institute of Technology created math, math, this is fucking crazy, mathematical models to simulate the production of the cubes. They're going, we need vets. We need mathletes. We need the physicists. Get the doctors in. Where's the astronauts? We got to get to the bottom of the fucking cube-shaped dupe. Science, man. I, I can't. You know, it's, it's funny because, like, my, my simple mind is like, why? But then also I think, like, there's probably a lot of Answers. interesting things that they can learn from, from doing this. Well, I mean, basically every time we've ever asked why on anything in the world is provided like any time that we've we we every time that we've realized something crazy it's probably come from some super weird origin of like looking into something that would have previously thought we would have previously seemed like it was completely unnecessary to think about in the first place Mm -hmm. so so back to that communication piece at the very top there asked why so i'm gonna read this but I also think I, I hear this and I think it's just as absurd as a wombat pausing to shape his poop into a cube. OK, uh, asked why wombats have this feature. Carver said one theory was that wombats with their strong sense of smell communicate with each other via feces and that the cube shape helps prevent the feces from rolling away. The researchers also found that cube shaped feces on an eight degree slope rolled far less than a spherical-shaped model. <laughs> what? Hold on. Do wombats just live I, in hills? Yeah, That's like, bullshit. I know. What the fuck is the deal there? <laughs> Hold on. I thought at the very beginning of this, you said that now we, ne- now we know. I can't, I can't believe that, they, that it, it, they rolled eight centimeters further. Like, who sat there that testing... May aid, that may aid in Spherical poop versus cubicle poop. <laughs> cubicle and how far they... How far they... <laughs> How cute, far they roll? Cuticle poop. <laughs> <laughs> Though the wombat's pretty cute. Pickle. Um. So uh, that uh, wow. that <laughs> just keep going, that, keep going. No, keep that's going, it. That, that, that's that's it. it. That's all I got. That's all I got. Which I just, I just, you know, I, we started with poop. We rode out the poop. We ended with poop. And now we're gonna go into a conversation that has nothing to do with. Poop. Can we take a poo poo break next week? Yeah, we can definitely take a poop break next week. Yeah, unless, yeah. unless. <laughs> Unless we get someone that writes in, we got letters at sickpointpodcast.com if you have any comments about the poop. Holy moly. Guys, I just want to say if we took a break from poop next week, that would be the shit. And we could talk about pee. Wow. Dude. Absolutely. Wow. I'm on fire. One or the other. (laughs) One or the other. That's one way to put it. Uh, Folks, we are so, so elated to bring to you yet another, this would be number three, I believe, conversation with Nahid, Dasani. You know, I said I was always saying Dasani, probably because of the water, and and uh, I heard Nahid say his name in the recording, and he said Dasani, and I was like, hmm. I've been saying it wrong the whole time, or it's like potato potato, you know. Mm. 
Probably not. Yeah, names are fucking names. Names are rarely. I know. Names are rarely like that. Yeah, I know. Like, Heat, I'm so sorry. My mom. Uh, my mom said this. Uh, said, said a name the other day. <laughs> your mom. Your mom's my, the my, worst mom, my mom is notorious for. It's for a guy named Adam, and your mom's like. Craig. <laughs> she was this really, really sweet uh, woman who took our who took our yoga teacher training. Her name's Priyal. And uh and 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 we were having this we were having this event and and my mom goes, Priel. And I went, It's Priel. And she goes, Yeah, that's what I said, Priel. Well, your mom is and also went, your mom has I, a your mom has an, a legit newfie accent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like I know. It's, it's strong. But then I go, but then, but then I go, no, no, Priyal. Like that's you pronounce it that way. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, well, what's the difference? <laughs> and I went, and I went, I went, would you ever call me to lore? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, is it, is it one or the other? Like, doesn't matter what yeah, but it I mean, does? But it, you talk to an Englishman and they're going to be like, Taylor. <laughs> That's true. It's uh, actually. Taylor. That is true, I guess. You know, <laughs> you've got a kind of a point. Taylor. Like, right. Taylor. Ta- oh, right. Right. Hello. Hello. Taylor. Oh, we're all trying our yeah. hand. Right. Oi, 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 Taylor. Oi, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't work. Is that really t- yeah, all right. Uh, we digress. Uh, this is our conversation with Nahid Dasani. Uh, we hope you enjoy it because it's always a fucking treat to have that beautiful, beautiful human on our show. We'll see you on the other side. Um, all right. Well, folks, uh, I, I, this, it's one of my favorite moments, uh, when we get to sit down with our friend, Nahid Dasani, uh, I, I, you know, it's like, how long ago now it's been, it's been from the very first time we recorded with you, you came to Halifax. That's right. It was in our old studio Yep. and it was so obviously pre COVID and it, it was one of the most like. One of the most enjoyable conversations I think we've had on the podcast. And then we've got to have you back on in the midst of the pandemic. And now we're having you back on during the second wave. Um, Incredibly eye-opening and important work that you're doing too. And, and, and I just remember from that first conversation, leaving there thinking like, oh God, there's so much work to be done but also, I'm so glad that there's people like Nahid mm. and uh, and groups like Peach that are helping to take care of some of those problems. But we'll get into those. Yeah. Well, what I want to say is, for you know, I'm sure there's some new listeners who have popped on before they've heard uh, those past episodes with Nahid. So why don't you just give us a little uh, a little uh, self intro as to who you are and the very important work that that you've been doing uh, for a number of years now. For sure. Well, first of all, you guys are way too kind. And I actually want to start by congratulating you guys, because the last time I was on the on the pod, I'm not, I, I don't think the whole CBC thing had happened. No, so, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like major congrats to you guys. That's big Thank time. You. And um, just really, really proud of all the work you're doing. And it's an honor to be back. Thanks for having me so much. I really appreciate it. Um, so for those who are uh, listening and, and don't know about the work that I've been involved in, my name is Nahid Deseni, and I'm a palliative care doctor who spends a lot of time providing health care for people who experience structural vulnerabilities in our communities, like homelessness and poverty, um, the longstanding effects of, for example, systemic racism. Um, I started a mobile palliative care program a few years ago ago called the Peach Program, Palliative Education and Care for the Homeless, and now work on a team that you know drives around the city of Toronto to, to support people in shelters, on the street, um, 
in supportive housing to make sure people who are dealing with their illness journeys and often end of life journeys get the quality of life care that they need. Um, and uh, that's that's been a lot of the work that's that's taken a lot of my time over the last few years. And I mean, <laughs> with with the pandemic, uh, I, I, you know, we've been following you uh, through social media and and you you're 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 an incredible advocate for the work that you do. Um, but especially during covid, um, you know, the the messaging that you were putting out there uh, is it's very evident that there's a lot of gaps in the system, mm-hmm. um, whether that whether that be, um, you know, the way that Canada has handled the COVID situation surrounding people who are experiencing homelessness, right, um, or, or right to the you know a huge problem which a lot of people are are, are aware of and, and maybe not so so aware of, but the 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 way that the long term care system has kind of failed our citizens failed our country um and through this you've started um the doctors for justice in ltc uh so just just adding another thing to your resume uh that like you're not already busy enough what is uh what is this and and give us a little rundown on on why you started this you know, right off the hop, I just want to say that it's 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 so true that this pandemic has highlighted inequities in our communities, but it hasn't just highlighted them, it's perpetuated them as right. well. And, you know, I'd love to get into different aspects of this. Long-term care is just is really just one of them. And um, for those who aren't aware, in Ontario and, and many other provinces across Canada, um, there is a humanitarian crisis happening in our long-term care facilities. People are dying left, right, and center. We have over 3,500 deaths in Ontario's long-term care facilities. And actually, it's to the point there that there is actually one person dying in long-term care from COVID-19 every single hour. Right? And if that's man. not a crisis that I don't know what is, it's 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 a tragedy, is what it is. And um, you know, these are you, we know our long term care uh, system was in a crisis before the pandemic. Um, it's just really brought it to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And so myself and now over a thousand signees across Canada, physicians, um, you know, uh, researchers, academics have come together to sign this letter, Doctors for Ju- Justice and LTC. Um, for, to call on the government for action. And I don't know if you guys know the day we launched, um, it's a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, we, we kind of did it in secret and we kind of let a few media outlets know. And we just kind of asked every doctor to like tweet it with the hashtag LTC justice. So if you go on Twitter, you'll see it. And man, we like took over Twitter. And I don't know if you saw, but we were like trending number one in Canada within just oh, no a few way. hours for like the whole day, which we wow. never imagined. Like, it was really an Ontario specific campaign. But um, yeah, there's some calls to action in the letter and we're really pleased with how it turned out. And there's a, we're making a lot of noise to hopefully make some we, change. We spoke with... Um, Remind me of his name. He was the head of geriatrics at uh, Sinai. It was mm-hmm. months and months ago we spoke to yeah. him in the summer, and um, and we were talking about we were talking about long term care facilities, and you know at the time in Halifax, Northwood was you know making mm-hmm. news headlines every day for the the, the crisis that was happening there and the the, the deaths that were that were occurring from COVID still, even to this day, um, the, like we, we talk about being pretty, you know, good here, quote, air quotes relative to, uh, the rest of the country when it comes to COVID-19, but you know, 
like over 80% or 90% of our deaths happened in long-term care homes. Yeah. yeah. A long-term and, care he, home. and we were talking about, but we ended up getting on, you know, asking like where, where in the world are, where in the world are we looking to, or where can we look to in terms of long-term care that is sort of like a beacon of hope, like, mm. a, like somewhere that's kind of doing it right. And I think it was, I think it was Denmark. Mm. He gave as an example of, uh, of a of something that you know a long-term care program that they started like 20 25 years ago where they they moved away from these big homes and invested in home care where there where 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 people would go be going to your home and I'm I'm kind of realizing as I'm having this as this is coming into my as as I'm saying this Nahid in the work that you do I'm realizing I'm realizing where that where that issue comes in, where if that was the is that if that was what we did and we scrapped, you know, these long term facilities, these big facilities and went to home care and you don't have a home and you don't have a home. <laughs> how does oh, that yeah. work? So like, where, where, where's your where's your head on 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 that and like tri- types of reform for long term care and how like. People who are experiencing yeah, homelessness, you know, how that plays in. Th- this is a great point. You know, we need this. This pandemic has shown us that we need a total rethink of how we support um, people who experience frailty in our communities, whether it's people who are seniors, people with disabilities, people who need extra help and support. It's so true that a, the vast majority of people who are in long-term care could have potentially been at home had there been more robust home care across Canada. Right. And, and and they end up in long term care because there aren't enough help and supports around nursing, around PSW, around the kind of care that people need to stay home. And as a palliative care doctor, a big part of what we do, we know 90 percent of Canadians when dealing with a serious illness want to be home. Right. So we know that that's a huge part of it. So not only is it would it better support people to be where they want to be, but it would save the system a lot of money. Right. Like mm-hmm. home care is so much cheaper than hospital or even even long term care when you add it all up. Right. Mm-hmm. But what's happened is because of this over dependence on long-term care, we've seen these kind of perverse models of care that have developed. And one of the things that we're calling for with Doctors for Justice and long-term care is ending for-profit long-term care. What many people don't realize is that in Ontario and many provinces across Canada, there are for-profit long-term care companies and there are not-for-profit long-term care uh, Mm. facilities and companies, but they're both using public money. And I don't know if you guys know, but the outcomes for for for-profit long-term care in COVID have been atrocious. We've seen that for-profit long-term care facilities had 78% more deaths um, from COVID-19 than not-for-profits, right? If you look at all the big outbreaks, like the the big seven that happened in Ontario, Mm. Roberta Place, Tender Care, all these other ones, for-profit long-term care facilities. It's time we put people over profits. So what mm. what is what is it though that's caught like why mm. for-profit over not not for profit? Like what what's what's the difference between the two that is changing the quality of the care that is being or, or that is not being given? Yeah. So you know, even this this is like a history lesson in sort of provincial politics, but here in Ontario, the, the laws really changed in the 1990s with the Mike Harris government that gave uh, the paved the pathway to create long-term 
uh, care companies and facilities that are for profit. And what, what, why we see a difference really, it, it's across the board. It has to do with um, uh, staffing. So long-term care uh, companies that have you know, for-profit interests tend to have staff that are are, are poor. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but in Ontario, in Ottawa, there were reports of PSWs who were making so little money working in long-term care that they lived in a homeless shelter, right? Mm, they lived wow. in a homeless shelter. And because they had precarious work, had to work at multiple long-term care facilities. And then they got COVID in those long-term care facilities and brought it back to the homeless shelter. They don't oh, have paid yeah. sick leave. They don't have decent wages. They don't have benefits, mm. right? And most of the long-term care workers are actually racialized women. So this is like a social justice issue. It's not just ageism and ableism. It's actually racism too, right? And so when it it's like infection control, accountability, you know, paying staff across the board, we see for-profit companies and for-profit homes have worse outcomes because Ooh. what matters more is the shareholder and the profits, not the care. Ooh. Is it equal? Is it? Can you can you sort of draw a comparison to um, for-profit prisons in the United States? Because it sounds a lot like the situation that's happening there. There's a lot of scary parallels. Like there's a lot of scary parallels to think about how, you know, we're seeing for-profit um, incarceration happening in the United States. And it really draws us back to the values of what it means to be Canadian. And, you know, one thing that I'm really proud of in Canada is our healthcare system. It's not perfect, right? We've talked about on this on this show, we've had conversations, right, guys, about equality versus equity. And we say, you know, our Canadian healthcare system is pretty good at giving people the same things to be happy and healthy, except if you're in need of long-term care <laughs> where mm -hmm. it's not fully yeah. integrated with Medicare and it needs to be right. That this is, a, these are our values, right? And there mm -hmm. are just so many, there are so, there are so many ways in which, in which giving the, giving the freedom over to the market works and, but prison and healthcare just really never seem to be ones that have ever done well with that mixture and being, being given that freedom because if you've got people that are if you've got people that are that are going to make money when there's people in prison or make money when there's people sick then obviously it's the incentive is to be in, to be incarcerated and to be sick mm -hmm. and and yeah. that's that's never going to that's never going to i i can't see i mean i know that there's a massive argument in the united states for why that system or how that system works better than like what we've got up here or more like more of like what we've got up here I just don't see how that could ever, how that model could ever work. It, it's interesting though, because I, so, um, Nahid, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time, but I have an, an uncle who had an uncle who has sort of been in, in and out of trying to access the housing system and, right. um, struggled very, uh, severely with alcoholism and addictions. And he, uh, he passed away last week oh. and, um, it was, uh, it's been really, it, it's been, it's hard to describe it, but it's been eye-opening in a way to see how people who live with disabilities, uh, who are low income, who are marginalized, who suffer from mental illness, um, just never really have a chance. And there's one like really trivial example that has come up from from like my experience of trying to deal with like understanding what to do after he passed, you know, trying to plan a funeral, for example, um, we were having an obituary written for him and, uh, I was surprised number one, how much it costs to put an obituary in the paper. It's like, 
How much? You know, anywhere from like five hundred to a thousand dollars. Holy shit! If, if you include a picture, so like Whoa. the more you write, the longer it is, the more space it takes up in the paper, mm-hmm. so the more mm-hmm. it costs. Mm-hmm. So like he he has no money in his estate. There like that doesn't exist. You know, we're like my mom who already works three jobs is paying for the cost of his funeral and. Um, we spoke to our friend Jeremy, who we had on the podcast, who's a funeral director in Alberta, and he really like gave us a lot of guidance into what sort of federal and provincial assistance is available. And it, there's some there, but it's not a lot. But the craziest thing, and the, the 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 like, the very trivial example that I wanted to bring up is this: the cost of the obituary. You can actually get a free obituary in the paper if you link to the website of the funeral home and publish your full obituary there. But oh my. my mom, knowing that my uncle, who was pretty, you know, had a really challenging life, knowing that all of his friends and people that know him wouldn't be able to they access his obituary it. on the yeah. internet, had no option but to pay to have it in the paper so mm. that he could be sort of mm. respected and and and... You know, so that people who were in his life could yeah. could learn about his death and hear that story. So it's like, you know, there's, but that free, my mom said to me, she was like, you know, if I die, um, do the free version for me in the favor <laughs> and link it to the website because, you know, my friends will be able to see it. And I thought like, that's fucking crazy. Like, you know, even when, when it's even something as small as that costs money for people who don't have any money. Yet, yeah. you know, there's access for a free version for somebody who mm-hmm. could afford to pay for it. And oh, and it yeah. seemed very trivial, but also it was like, I guess like that's sort yeah. of the, world the way that it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm very sorry for your loss. May he rest in peace. But it goes without saying that um, we have inequities in life and we surely have inequities in death. And through our work in, with the PEACH program, we see that um, people, you know, who die poor don't always get funerals. They don't even get buried. They don't get their, their afterlife um, goals met. And that's one of the goals of the program is to try to support that and even fund that. So even as we grieve and bereave, um, there is inequity there, and and that kind of the people who who have the means they get remembered in a different way, and I don't think that's very fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like even and and not to dwell on this too much because I know we have a lot of other important topics to talk about, but but like you know, it another thing that just came up was like he was struggling so long to access housing, mm-hmm. yet he couldn't read or write. And so yeah. it was impossible for him to fill up paperwork. He would get sent letters in the mail from housing, yeah. like where it's like you have this house, housing opportunity that's available, but he would just throw it out because he couldn't even right. read it. Yeah. So, right. and anyway. and there was and there was uh, and there was this thing, this thought brewing in my head as you were saying that, Bri. I was and your your uncle Mike is a is a prime is a prime example of uh, uh, like that that example right there of you know he's got to do he's got there's loopholes that you have to go that you have to jump through not loopholes whole, uh, loops that you need to jump through to to access things and he's got a barrier because he can't read or write um and i was watching this i was watching this show the other day and they were and and one of the characters in the show was mental health issues loses work applying for unemployment the kind of the, and it was kind of highlighting like the bureaucracy not like the bureaucracy of the whole system and how much time it takes up for a person 
to do all the things that they need to do in order to access the programs that they need to, and like, oh, you went here, but you filled out this paperwork wrong, and now you've got to go to the back of the line. And now that's going to take away like a half day's work, mm-hmm. which is then like, again, funneling you back into this vicious cycle. And I was watching this and I was going, oh, wow, this is, this is such a highlight of how this person who has the least amount of leeway in terms of time to not be doing everything they can to work and make money to do the things that they need to do, like access housing, they're being... They can't work because of the time that it takes to access things that the system, like how much, how many bureaucratic barriers are there in, in that you see in the work that you do that you're just going, man, if these bureaucratic barriers didn't exist, so many things would change and be easier for people who need to, who need to access things that they need to access. Yeah, I mean, there's there's major assumptions out there, particularly when when talking about people who experience poverty or homelessness, that they're not busy or they they have a lot of time on their hand. Actually, the people like the time on their hands, the people I care for actually are very busy. And the reason they're so busy is they're trying to access services and navigating those services are really challenging and the reason it's so challenging to navigate the services is because they're not integrated we we basically live in a world where to access social supports you have to access different silos you go here for your housing you go there for your money and income you go there for food you go there for medical care and even in healthcare it's super siloed as well and so that mm. takes time and is really challenging to do that's why uh, about a year ago um, we got some support um, at the peach program to fund a new a new role which is called the health navigator role and her name is Leanne she's awesome I'd love for you guys to meet her sometime but she basically she's a problem solver of these silos and she 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 accompanies people for medical appointments she helps them fill out forms around their income and and get people food supplies, social supports, like really just work across those systems. And man, she's busy. Like we mm. have seen the, the the care just dramatically improve. And it's not the medical care, right? It's it's the navigating of these social systems. So across the board, we see we see this all the time. These are really great points you guys make. favorite one-hit wonder or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have or that tv show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon now what if we could fix it i'm francesca ramsey and i'm delon grant and after 20 years of friendship we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called let me fix it each episode we'll dig into our favorite celebrities shows and brands of yesteryear and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today think of our show as an intervention but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I I want to I want to steer things back into the the um what you referred to as a humanitarian crisis, which is such a like such a um such a jaw dropping statement um to think that we're we're in a position where we're experiencing a humanitarian crisis in in Canada um surrounding long-term care facilities uh I, like okay so i i'm i'm thinking back to like march or april of 2020 and i'm thinking about we were talking about this the other day thinking about like how my mom brought groceries over to my house right and she would like drop them off outside 
And then I would pick them up, but like with gloves. And then I bring it in and I would like wash down the chip bags with like Lysol. And like, I, you know, I wouldn't touch like everything was being sprayed. And, and of course that's because we just, we didn't know. And then we learned like, okay, that's actually not as necessary as we thought. So we're constantly learning about this, this, this new thing that we're dealing with in wave one. And then in wave two, when we get hit again, we go about it a little bit differently. Um, we go about it maybe a little more uh, with a with a little bit more intelligence, um, with a little more confidence. What are the what are the things that that you feel we did learn or that we did realize in wave one when it comes to the way that? Um, the long-term care facilities have been failing us. And what are the things that we still haven't been doing after learning that through wave one, as we are in the midst of wave two? You know, I'm, I'm so glad we're discussing this and I, and I, I will answer that in a sec, but I just want to say that we're, I'm glad that we're even talking up about this on your platform. Cause I think there's a lot of people, um, particularly people under 40. Like I have a lot of friends who kind of say, like long-term care, like I don't relate to that. You know, I don't know anyone long to care. Those are, those, are, those are older people. Those are, and, and I think we need to just pause and say, um, we should all really care about long-term care. These are our, our, our uncles, our, our parents, our neighbors, our siblings, our, our, our grandparents. These are our community members. We have to care. And, and, and it's, it's a reflection of our society about what we do now and how we act mm. to save lives in long-term care. Um, and it will so, be us later. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. us eventually. Yeah. yeah. And, and if we don't go there, yeah. yeah, we're all going to go there. Like, yeah, yeah. it could be us very, you know, and remember, not all people in long term care are the elderly, right? That's right. There are people with disabilities who are young, younger too, who are in long term care. It serves multiple purposes. So we need to care. And there's lots of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the, the discussion around learned lessons, unfortunately, um, you know, we don't call it a humanitarian crisis like by fluke, like we chose our words very carefully. And you have to imagine when you're a physician and you have a platform, you know, you have to be very careful about the words you chose. We meant the words we use because that's what's happening. And we did not learn the lessons from the first wave in Ontario. And um, this includes, um, you know, the first wave showing us that staffing levels were not appropriate. Um, you know, that we needed more help and more supports. And, and, and the, the plan that was put forth was just not meeting the needs of the kind of care, even a bare minimum of four hours per care was not something that the government could put forth for the second wave. We learned that if you protect the staff and their lives and their safety, that will protect the residents in these long-term care homes. How you do that is you make the work less precarious, right? You give them mm-hmm. full-time jobs. You give them, you know, paid sick leave. You give them decent wages. And you know which provinces actually did learn that? Like British Columbia and Quebec. And we've seen less deaths in the second wave as a result per capita Ooh. in these provinces. But in Ontario, that never happened. Like in British Columbia, they just hired all the long-term care workers, basically, which made a lot of sense to basically bring it up to a certain standard and make and make a big difference. Um, the other thing that we 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 haven't seen happen, you know, in a in a that took too long is vaccination, like the rollout, mm. basically, you know. So we knew there was a crisis. So we, we, we kind of had a delay in the rollout. And um, there are other issues um, at play as well. Like, you know, the one of the calls, one of the calls that we're making is to make sure essential family caregivers are allowed access 
in these homes because, you know, people may not realize, but, you know, long-term care homes don't provide all the care. It's often a caregiver, like a family member who's coming in and they're not just hanging out, like watching movies, like they're providing care and that's how the care gets done. Mm. But that was blocked during COVID and it continued to Mm. be an issue as we went into the second wave. And then the last thing we called for is for hospitals to be able to have the jurisdiction to take over these homes when there's an outbreak. I don't know if you guys heard about tender care in North York or Roberta Place and Barry, these were huge outbreaks. Like, you know, you know, we're talking about outbreaks in long-term care homes where every single resident got COVID. Like, you know, where like some of these sites had more COVID cases and deaths than all of Vietnam and New Zealand combined, you know, during COVID. Like, Whoa. so that's when we say humanitarian crisis, like we mean it with the numbers, like mm. with our words and the experiences on the ground as well. This leads me to a, a question that came in from our, our Patreon community. Um, uh, we actually had two questions that came in. The first one was from Megs, and uh, we already answered it, which was what kinds of regulation do we currently have in, in terms for, of for-profit homes, and, and what do you think needs to change? But um, this one that came in from Roseman, I think, is it might uh, be a little bit in line with what we were kind of talking about right there. I, I'm also not familiar with... Uh, bill 218. So uh, maybe maybe kind of fill us in there. But the question is, do you have any comments on Ontario's Bill 218, which provides protection from liability for COVID-19 exposure-related claims? What recourse will families have for their loved ones once the dust settles? How much, how will the government and individuals, individual facilities be held accountable? Yeah, so, you know, Bill 218 introduces, you know, liability protection, and it really um, gives a, a, a layer of protection for for the facilities that are uh, potentially um, going to be looked at and going to be at risk from a liability perspective. Mm. And, you know, this really behooves the point of who's responsible, right? It digs at the bigger questions. I'll leave it to the legal experts to get really into the Bill 218 nuances. But what this question asks is, you know, who's accountable at the end of the day, right? And if we are, if if our long-term care facilities are, are um, encompassed as part of Canadian healthcare and Medicare, then you know they should be given a certain standard of care, and most certainly that standard of care is not present right now, and it needs to be. Um, and how we get there is we remove the profits from long-term care. We use all our powers and resources to hire qualified staff. We set a minimum minimum pay standard for staff. We ensure that at least seventy percent of staff are at each long-term care home full time. We ensure family caregivers are allowed to enter, and we allow these partnerships to happen between hospitals and long-term care facilities. And if we need to call in the military we call in the military and we need to speed up vaccine rollout those are the big kind of calls um, that we think are part and parcel of the accountability that's needed but when you have a, a for-profit entity where there's been significant death and fallout you know there's going to be some really upset people and there are right mm-hmm. people are talking about all sorts of things like lawsuits and you know things like that this is getting into that that murky water right it's mm-hmm. a, like, I think your point was right. The first wave we didn't know, but in the second wave we knew, right? There were lessons learned that we could have acted yeah. on. Yeah. I, I, I find myself thinking about like when I, when I zoom out from a really macro approach, I, I look at this and I go, there's a problem. And then I hear what you're saying here and presented as the solution. And my like very simple brain thinks, well, if there's a fucking problem and there's a solution, why can't we just make the solution happen? So I, 
I know that there's there's probably more nuances to it than that, but what probably. what holds <laughs> what's I th- I think that this gets at a a better point though. I, I, like what holds what what's holding us back from acting on the information that we've taken again from like the first wave and and applying it to the is the it political like, is what, it is it politics yeah, that's yeah, like, you know <laughs> like like what like what's what's the equation is it like like the recipe is it like like two cups politics uh <laughs> like you know a dash of bu- bureaucratic red tape bullshit and and like a a, a, a seasoning of mm. of um I don't know. Capital of, of like yeah. lack of education. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, if you guys figure out that recipe, you let me know. Uh, and, and not a not a simple minded question at all. It's actually the question. It's the money. It's the money question. Mm. And the answer is simple. It's a lack of political will, right? Yeah. Um, an entrenched um, and, a, and a system that has entrenched profit making for shareholders over the care of people. And and I, and it's a lot of words and jargon to swallow, but it's it's an entrenched system that does not put the care of 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 seniors, of people with disabilities, and other people who live in long term care uh, at the top of the list as the priority. And so what you get is the byproduct of bad care. And when you throw in a pandemic into that, it's death. It's it's mm. it's actual death in a humanitarian crisis. That's the result of that. I recognize that, you know, governments like our current government in Ontario inherited a broken system, but they now have the facts, they have the evidence, they have our nine point plan to make a difference, to to make a change. There's really, it's really no excuse at this point to see that change come forward. We need to see that change happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a, a strong feeling that, that there's a lot of people who are in that like under 40 age bracket who are listening to this right now and thinking, Fuck! What can I do? Like, I want to. I want to be part of 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 making change here because I see. I see the problem. I see that we're in this crisis, and I see that that it needs to. It needs to change. Like, what can what can they do to help? What can we do to help? I think like listening to this episode and caring is an excellent first step to get into the dialogue, and that's why I'm always so grateful to you guys for how you use your platform to inspire change. So that's that's an excellent first step. The second is to realize that inherently issues within our healthcare systems amidst a pandemic like this are inherently political. So we need to get political. So the question mm-hmm. is how does one do that? Um, I encourage everyone to check out Docs for Justice in LTC on Twitter, um, hashtag mm-hmm. LTC Justice. Um, the account basically will We'll be putting out evidence-based information, the letters there. Um, we'll have an email listserv there very soon. I think the other thing is to contact your 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 local um, MP, your, your equivalent of your local MPP or MLA, and just get really enga- engaged in provincial politics because healthcare happens at the provincial level. There are lots of local organizations, you know, Voices of LTC here in Ontario is another that's sort of like caregiver-led um, organizations who are doing incredible advocacy. But advocating to your MP as well, because there's a new initiative underway called, you know, long-term care standards. There's going to be a call for a national standard in long-term care. And even 86% of Canadians are are for now getting rid of, you know, private long-term care. Like 86% of Canadians are for mm. what we're talking about. You know, the public opinion is in, like it's, it's, they're very supportive. So it's a federal issue as well. 
write your politicians, get active. And, you know, for people under 40 or you know, that younger crowd who, who might listen to this, you know, talk to other younger people about why this matters, right? And I think get it to the forefront of, of the discourse and, and, and to, to, to the dining room table with your families, you know, where you can. I think those are some good first steps. Yeah, social media has its has its flaws, but this is definitely. I mean, but you know, the people being able to share things and talk about things, um, you know, instantaneously and and share information is definitely one of its uh, strong points. Uh, Nahid, uh, from your from your from where you sit as a physician, um, you know, knowing the ins and outs of the medical system, I feel what where. What is the deal with the vaccine rollout? I feel like I have read a thousand (laughs) articles and every one of them is telling me that it's something different. And I don't know what is, I can't make sense of it. Preach. And so, (laughs) I mean, I'll probably ask this question to every person that we have on the show from now until everyone's vaccinated. (laughs) Like, what is going on? Yeah, that's a it's a very fair question. I have a feeling you'll get a different answer every time. So here's mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, like there's there's one there's one part of this that's basically around vaccine supply, right? And that's like that's like outside of our borders. There's an international kind of fight going on for the supply of vaccines and vaccine mm-hmm. approval. And you know, that's subject of international, you know, supply chain economics. There's there's international bidding wars going on. There's the COVAX program. So Canada bought a ton of vaccine. It's not become available. And we're in the COVAX program, which is aimed to support countries who may not have access to the vaccine. So that's like one piece, right? And but even when we don't have the supply, there's a lot of things that we can be doing now to prepare ourselves for the rollout. So some of the things that I think we need to be thinking about, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy and mistrust of healthcare in our communities. And I was saying, um, by the way, I'm on Clubhouse and I need you guys to join Clubhouse because I think you yes. guys really like it. We're, we're on it. We're, yeah. Brian and I are on it, but we haven't <laughs> I've been too shy to like pop into any. Uh, I need the invite. Are you hey, going to give me? He, you, we should, we should set up a. We you, should yeah. set up a chat on it. We yeah, should. We should, we should have like a yeah. boy clubhouse. I, I'd help you guys yeah. with that. But yeah, I mean, hundred percent. I, I mean, I'm nothing compared to you guys. But you know, we can. Oh, oh, oh yeah, on. right. Says the king of, of TikTok over here. Come on. <laughs> and the guy who's who's talking yeah. to Jugmeet Singh yeah. on Instagram Live. But you listen. Like when I was on Clubhouse, there was like there was a great discussion and of 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 racialized you know uh, doctors who were talking about vaccine hesitancy and there's a lot of discourse about mistrust in the healthcare system but we need to turn that into how can the healthcare system be more trustworthy to those who have experienced trauma within it. So mm. black communities, indigenous communities, even the South Asian community, there's a lot of mistrust of the healthcare system and so we can be addressing that right now. We should also be thinking about establishing mobile clinics and drive-throughs and be thinking about that. We need to engage BIPOC leaders in, in communities, faith groups who can really spread the good word around, around the, the need for the vaccine. I think that's what we can do around the supply chain piece. Now, around, around rollout in Canada, you know, each province has sort of an ethical framework they've used to roll out vaccines, and we just haven't had the supply to roll it out. So health workers 
and sort of people who are at risk, mostly in long-term care, mostly across mm. the board and indigenous communities have been, been the focal point. But I'm actually um, gonna get this unique opportunity this week to get like a couple minutes with Justin Trudeau at, a, at an online event. Um, and I'm actually just gonna be talking about the need to prioritize people experiencing homelessness. Mm. So I don't know if you guys saw the research that's come out, people experiencing homelessness in Canada are 2.4 times more likely to test positive from COVID, 20 times more likely to be hospitalized, 10 times more likely to be in ICU, and five times more likely to be to die. Yet they've not been prioritized as part of the first phase of rollout, like health workers have or long-term care residents, mm. and, and they need to be, right? So there's equity issues baked within it. So mm. I know that was like a, a like all over the place, but those are just some thoughts on rollout, you know, from outside the country to, to even within. No, it's got a lot of depth. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Nahid, this is, uh, again, it's just like such a treat to be able to sit down and to pick your brain and to hear the things that you have to say. You do such incredibly important work. We are, we are such huge fans of everything that you do. Um, and folks, take a moment, go check it out. Docs4ltcjustice.ca. That's docs, the number four, ltcjustice.ca. Uh, Nahid, can't wait to have you back on the show in the future, man. Guys, thank you so much for everything you do. And like as an avid listener myself, like much love to you. Keep up the good work. Congrats on the CBC thing. I can't I can't wait to see what you guys are going to achieve next. Yeah, we'll see you on Clubhouse. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> Thanks, Nahid. All right, peace out, guys. There you go. That was it. That was uh, our conversation with uh, Dr. Desani. TikTok extraordinaire, soon to be clubhouse uh, king. And um, uh, always love talking to that guy. Can't wait to have him on the show again. 100%. Can't mm-hmm. wait to see him in person again. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We had, him in, we had him in our old Yeah, He gives office. a good hug. He's a good hugger. And uh, mm-hmm. back before uh, yeah, the world fell apart. Yeah. Uh, folks, thank you for joining us on... Uh, oh, you know what? Wait, we have, a, we have another... We had a really sweet letter come in. We had a real nice one, and it wasn't about poo. It wasn't. Uh, uh, folks, yes. again, uh, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Anything you have to say, you might get read on the show. Send it to us. We love hearing from you. But this one came in, and I just, my heart is so warm from I, reading I this, don't think sweet, I saw this sweet letter. It was the sweetest. I think the subject line was something along the lines of, am I your oldest fan? It was oh, oh, I do know this Man, one. subject lines like, am I your oldest fan? Subject lines like fluid and squirts. They really do get our attention. They really Just do. as a sure hint do. if you're, if you're yeah. writing into Anytime letters. Anytime you write squirt, yeah, squirt in the subject line. Mm-hmm. So this, uh, this comes to us from Pam. Hello, boys. I've been listening to your podcast for a few years now. It started when I was driving one day and heard your documentary being discussed on CBC Radio. CBC, always coming through for us. Yep. My ears perked up. I watched the documentary and have been enjoying your podcast ever since. I usually listen when I'm on my own, either driving alone or when hubby is snoozing in the car. (laughs) I just just picture her husband just sleeping in the car every night because it sounds like where he sleeps. I pictured him sleeping while driving and she's listening and he's asleep driving. Are we there yet? Thank God for Tesla. That makes much more sense. (laughs) I love to listen while I'm out walking, and if my husband doesn't walk with me, in go the earbuds, and off I go. I say, bye. I'm going for a walk with my sick boys. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. During this this pandemic, it has been a great way to walk and relax and have a good laugh. I'm sure when I pass people and I'm laughing out loud, they must say to himself, there goes that crazy lady again. (laughs) 
<laughs> your discussions are not only <laughs> your discussions are not only entertaining but extremely informative. I love your style of questioning, your compassion, and the way you interact with each other, even the swearing. By the way, I'm 75 years old, 76 this year. So, so am I your oldest fan? Take care, guys, and keep doing what you're doing, Pam. Pam. Oh. Not to forget Lauren. She's been a great addition to the group. And I'm not, you can, she, you oh. can, she wrote that. Oh, she wrote I didn't that. just say that. And wow. it warms my, warm my heart. Thank well, you, Pam. Yeah, Pam. Uh, I would say you probably are our oldest listener. I don't but, know for sure, but. But also, I want to say that she, maybe age-wise, but she seems young at heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I fully that agree. Was, guys, that I was heartwarming. Agree. Yep, no. So are you saying old people can't be heartwarming? No. <laughs> I was saying that was heartwarming. Dude, you're such a fucking ageist. <laughs> <laughs> Way to take something nice and ruin it. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that you you came off as ageist in the podcast where we talked about how ageism is probably one of the most uh, uh, detrimental things happening in our country right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, like, Wait, me? Yeah, you. You're, no. It's, it's, it's seriously disgusting, Brian. Oh, Thank you guys no, so much Taylor for listening did. to the podcast. <laughs> Uh, Pam, we love you, and uh, regardless of whether or not you're old, our oldest listener, you're one of our favorite listeners, so thank you so much. We love you. Join our Patreon, patreon.com. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. If you can figure out how to send that email, figure out how to log on to that Patreon. <laughs> show us how much you really love us and get on discord too we are coming at you every friday every monday uh with episodes folks you can listen to the podcast wherever you find fine podcast apple podcast spotify or the cbc listen app and if you can top pam and you are a 76 well soon it's going to be 77 if you're 77 or older let us know and send us your sweet heartfelt messages because I know that you can be heartfelt even though you're old as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> send your letters. <laughs> send your send your stories to letters at sickboypodcast.com. And if you want to be a guest on our show, go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact. Fill out that form and maybe we'll have you on the show. <laughs> guys this is my favorite part of the week i just want to say uh thank you so much for you guys being in the room with me lauren sankey taylor mcgillbury jeremy saunders i love you guys thanks for being part of this with uh with me and a huge shout out to uh the people who aren't in the room but also help make this show happen thanks to jeff lonis uh donovan the meerkat cpat morgan rich o'coin and the guys from take part we love all of you Folks, that is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. I'm Lauren. I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.